my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to stretch every dollar. Coming up in just a little while, yet another Clark Rage about a bank looting your account and not even telling you about it. There's a special rule you need to know about banking that will protect you from a bank going willy-nilly into your pocket. And later, there's an area that I get a lot of questions about, and that's concerning rent-to-own. And almost always, rent-to-own is a real ripoff for you as somebody who would ultimately like to own a house. I want to tell you about a new test of a way for you to do rent-to-own that doesn't rip you off, at least the way it's designed so far. There was something that I answered a question on that has caused, call it an uproar would not be the right term, but has um, upset a number of people. So let me set background. Caller calls up who's on the young side of a career and has been saving a lot of money and was doing a checkup with me to see at what point he'd be good to retire. The goal was to do early retirement, very early retirement, which for max savers is usually looked at retiring in your late 40s. And the way people do that is they are, again, what's called a max saver. They save half or more of what they make. And that bends the retirement curve two ways. One is you're learning to live your life on much less than what you make and that frees up so much money for you to save but then it means in retirement the money you've saved you're used to a lifestyle that is lower cost and the money you save will stretch so much further well in that call i said to our caller that you know you had enough when you'd save 25 times your living costs 25 times that freaks some people out because what they heard me say is in order to be able to retire you needed to save 25 times your income which if you're going to do early retirement well that's not far off even though i was referring to living costs it's not far off to say of income 25 times and so you think wow So I make this much a year. I got to save 25 times that? I'll never be able to do that. That's why that's extreme savers that I'm talking to. For you, what you need to think about is how are you going to live in retirement? Most people are going to retire at a point where they're Social Security eligible. And then you may have, from a place you've worked over the years, you may have some amount of pension. The money you saved other than that in investment accounts, retirement accounts, 401ks, IRAs, blah, 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 blah. That money is what you use to fill in the gap that Social Security and or, in addition, some amount of pension would cover. So the amount you need is based on what your gap is. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a huge amount of your income but what it does have to be 
when you hit retirement, 25 times that gap. Yeah, I said it. What your expenses per year would be for the portion that's that gap that Social Security and whatever else you have won't cover. So if you're going to need $10,000 a year to fill that gap, in order to meet that, you're going to need to save a quarter million dollars at the time you retire. Whatever the gap is, that's what you need to cover. The reason 25 times is it's an accepted thing when the analyses are run that you can only afford to spend 4% of what you've got in a year and not run out of money. Because you got to hope your investments on that money then earn beyond 4%, just a little bit, so you can cover inflation. So I didn't say the 25 times to depress you or terrify you. It was actually to lay out a scenario of making sure you don't outlive your money. Pat is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Pat. Hi, Clark. Pat, what's going on with you? Well, um, I just wanted to um, warn your listeners because um, there's apparently been a change in policy at one of the companies you recommend for uh, car rental searches or um, tracking, you know, better rates. And uh, it's a little more of a hassle now than it used to be. So we're talking about auto slash. Tell me what they've done that's made it more difficult. Well, um, I only started using them a couple years ago. Before that, I, I tried one of those sites where you prepay and then you don't find out who you're with until you, you've done that and then they assign you to someone. Priceline yeah. Hotwire. Yeah, I got burnt. Um, the company that, um, one of the companies that I got assigned to um, were terrible. Their shuttles were really slow and it, their, their, people were backed up all over. It was awful. So I decided I would um, try Autoslash. And I loved it. They would rebook me, and I saved hundreds of dollars on my rental. But then this year, when I did it, um, the first time they found a lower rate, they don't rebook you automatically anymore. You have to do it. <laughs> and, you know, so that takes nice. that takes the real benefit of what made Auto Slash so great that it was automatic. Yeah. Takes that away. And now I, what I heard, and I don't know if they gave this explanation to you, is that they were having trouble with the car rental agencies participating with them with it all being automatic. That's what they said. I actually asked in an email, uh, and they said uh, the car rental companies wouldn't let them do it anymore. So you know, it still you. says we automatically slash your rental rates. They need to change that because it says yes, that I, I right on the page. <laughs> But it's still for people that are price sensitive and want to chase savings, the fact that they at least alert you is helpful, but not like before. And what I wasn't clear about is like, uh, you know, they keep saying, make sure it doesn't say, make sure you're allowed to cancel. And, you know, sometimes that wasn't easy to find, but I've already had to do it four times. And then I thought, do I have to call and cancel these other reservations? And so that's actually what I did. And it's, I have a chart now with every time I cancel one. It's like what day I did it, you know, and then what the new booking is. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of work. It is. So, you know, so with the like car rentals, right, so there's there's this cat and mouse game going on with customers and car rental companies. 
And the problem the car rental companies have faced is that anything else you book with travel, you own it when you buy it, right? You book a hotel room, unless you cancel it with a hotel room. You buy an airline ticket, unless it's on Southwest, second you buy it, you own it. Mm -hmm. And so the the thing with the car rental companies is they're trying to guess how many people are going to no-show. So more and more the car rental companies are saying, hey, if you'll commit to us and go ahead and pay us, we'll give you a lower price than if you just make a reservation. Right. And And I didn't didn't mind, um, you know, the one where you prepay, but after I got burnt with the company they assigned me to, I didn't want to do that anymore. And I'm curious, just just to know, was that Hotwire or Priceline that you got burned with a bad company? Hotwire. Okay. You know, Priceline uses a more limited number of companies. Uh Hotwire uh, books uh, some third-tier car rental companies. And and the funny so, thing is, this is a this was a company I won't name them, but you actually spoke of them recently on your show, and you said that you hadn't had any complaints about them. And I thought, oh, I should call. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's it's tough with the car rental companies because if you show up and they don't do what they're supposed to do, you've got plans, you got places to go, people to see, and you're dependent on them running a reliable operation which they don't always do. But it's a bummer about Auto Slash. It's still a good information source, just not what it was before. Susan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Susan. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly. You want to get into the Roth versus traditional for retirement savings. I I do, because you were recently talking about how you know, because of changes in, in taxes now, that it's so much better to go into to Roths, you know, no question. But I was just wondering, for those of us that already have all of our money in a traditional, you know, 401k, if it's worth perhaps moving some of that into a, uh, a Roth. Only if your income is in a down year. It's not worth it to take the risk of having to pony up all that tax because to make it work you've got to come up with the tax from savings you have outside of retirement and erode whatever financial cushion you have for rainy day in your current life not your retired life so when i talk about uh pivoting if it's available to you into a roth 401k instead of a traditional um it's really for money going forward. Okay. So an example, I'll tell you an example, though, when it would make sense to do it currently instead of later. Let's say somebody's in a career path as a profession where it's a pretty common career trajectory that income will rise substantially over the course of a career. And that would be maybe some computer fields, medicine, uh, potentially in the law, where where it's likely based on your skill set and training that you could have a, a huge increase in income over the years. Then making the short-term sacrifice of converting existing money deposited in a regular IRA or uh, an old 401k to, um, to Roth money, would be worth the hit paying the tax up front. Okay. 
But otherwise, it's just a pivot in what you do here forward. Okay, gotcha. So were you a good saver? I was a super saver. I learned from you. Was. You're not, you're not is anymore a super saver? Well, I, well, I am, but I'm only going to be working for another about three months or so. And then oh, you're retired? Then. And then I'm going to retire, yeah. Wow. Well, that's great. And what are you going to live on in retirement? Well, I am, I am fortunate enough to, um, to have a pension and also have a, a rather large um, savings in my 401k. So between the two of them, I, I will be fine. Well, that is absolutely great. Good for you that you've handled money in such a solid, wonderful way. Today's Clark Rageous moment is something that is a fair warning to you that you never find yourself in this kind of big bank bear trap. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. This story comes compliments of ABC 13 in Northern California. So... This couple finds suddenly all the money is gone from their bank account. Just vanishes. And so they think, oh, a fraudster's gotten into our account. That's why we have no money. And then it turns out that it was the bank itself that had looted their account. Customer of? Bank of America. They found out when they went to the branch and the manager looks at the computer and says, oh, we took your money. Why? Well, they had a Bank of America line of credit. And they'd been paying on the line of credit as a green, but apparently the line of credit had hit an expiration. Nobody told them. And so Bank of America automatically treated them as a customer in default and took their money and said, ha, life's tough. Till a TV reporter called the bank. They said, oh, well, we're sorry. Here's the money back. Line's fine. No problem. Yes, there is a problem. And this is what you need to know. Banks use what are known as cross-collateral clauses. And buried in the mice type of their multi-page loan agreements are all-encompassing clauses that the bank, almost because they didn't like the way the sun came up on a morning, can go in and call virtually any loan due and seize money in any account you have with that bank without even telling you. The key, never have a loan outstanding with a financial institution where you deposit your money. In other words, if you borrow money from a bank, have your checking account and savings account with a credit union. If you have your checking and savings account with a bank, do your borrowing at a credit union. Do not commingle at the same institution borrowing and money you have on deposit. Because the risk, particularly at a giant monster megabank that doesn't care about its customers, is you're going to get burned, and that is an absolute promise. 
Hey, Joel, can we try to sneak in and ask Clark? Yeah, Clark, let's do it. Steve wrote in and says, I'm selling a car on Craigslist, and I've get, been getting people saying that they will pay by PayPal or even Bitcoin and send a trailer to pick it up. Is that a safe way to handle this transaction? That is 100% a scam. Craigslist has a warning about it. Only do business selling that to people you can see face-to-face end of story i'm glad to welcome you here to the clark howard show where you learn ways to keep more of what you make i get so many calls from people who are tempted by a rent to own plan for a home and almost without exception i tell the person calling don't do it don't do it rent to own almost 100 percent of the time blows up on the would-be homeowner the plans are not set up generally for you to be able to succeed they charge a lot of expenses to you and you are being strung along thinking hey i'm paying this extra money beyond my rent to be able to go towards buying this house and it just doesn't happen and there you are left without the home you want to buy and a lot of extra money you poured down a rat hole and it's very rare that these ever do work out that's the truth so i'm particularly interested in a startup service called divvy homes d-i-v-v-y homes that is running a beta test in the Cleveland, Ohio metro area and the Atlanta metro area. And what Divi does is crazy weird. You go find the home you want to buy. You go find it. You're not going to somebody who says, hey, I got this home, I'll lease it to you with an option to purchase. You go find it. You have to have 2% down, but you don't have the credit yet to buy that home. So you pay Divi the 2% down. They buy the home. They lease it back to you. And then they charge you a rent above fair market rent with the gap going to what will be your down payment on the home. And then they, at the end of 36 months give you the 10% down for the purchase of the home. Now, it's very promising. How it's going to work out for Divi's investors, I don't know. Is it going to blow up on you as a consumer in any way a would-be home buyer? Don't know. But I really like the simplicity of what they've designed And we'll have to see if it really does work out well. But it's the first time I've ever seen somebody designing a rent-to-own in a way that really works, if everything goes as they say, really works for you as the would-be future homeowner. And unfortunately, at this point, all I can say is it has promise. And if you live in northern ohio or you live in the atlanta metro area that you are the beta tester and 
it might really work out for you, or I might have given you a really bum steer. Steve is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Steve. Hello, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Steve. I should call you Super Clark. That's in, in my circle of friends. That's, that's what we call you, by the way. Super Clark? Absolutely. <laughs> Able to leap tall bills in a single bound. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but you've been, you've been able to help you know, with people in, single, in, in leaps and bounds with financially, and, and I'm talking about us, too. So I, and I am so grateful for that over the years, listening to you. Well, you're kind to say that, but you know, my belief, is, and it's a strong one, is that we all learn together. Yeah. So how can I serve you? My wife and I were out shopping for a vehicle, and the funny story is, is that I ended up buying a vehicle instead of her. But anyway, um, <laughs> we uh, were shopping for the That car sounds like a problem just to start <laughs> with here. I know. It was a deal that I couldn't refuse. It was like, well, I'll take that car. I'll trade my car in. And, and we did the deal, and it was a you know, 2017, which is fine. And um, so it worked out for me. But um, the, the, the question that And now I she's was, walking to and fro, huh? What's that? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. She's not walking. She has her own car, and I think we'll probably do something for her a little later on in the year when she, when she finds something that she likes. Okay. Um, but my question, Clark, was um, when we did the paperwork at the dealership, um, they put the car in my name only, and I recall in the trade-in, uh, the car that we did trade it in before uh, had both names uh, on the contract. And, and I didn't know if it meant, you know, if it was any different, uh, if it meant anything, or because I contacted my insurance company and they said, you yeah, know, it doesn't mean anything to us. Uh, you know, so it didn't, but I just wanted from your perspective. I don't think it matters. You know, when my wife and I are uh, doing the car thing, uh, it's just completely haphazard how we title it and usually it'll only be in one of our names because you know a lot of times there's paperwork hassle if you have to have both of you at the same time somewhere signing paperwork for a vehicle Mm -hmm. so uh, as long as there i mean you're in a very trusting loving marriage i can tell there there's nothing to worry about Okay. So just having it in your name sounds A-OK. Yeah, because later on when we trade her car, you know, I should we do the same thing? Maybe it doesn't matter at that point, right? But it really does. And I mean, she can have that one in her name. You can have this one in your name because you stole okay. her car anyway. Remember, you were out <laughs> shopping for a vehicle for her. Right, exactly. That was the intent. Yeah. And I ended up coming home with a car instead of her. <laughs> okay, that's really a crazy story. How old is her car? Uh, 2012. Yeah, you know, that's got more life in front of it unless she just wants new wheels. It's low mileage. And, you know, she, you know, I have the backup camera and I have a lot of the to-do stuff and she likes that. And she doesn't have that in her car right now. So I think it's just something that she wants. Okay. So you could add... A backup camera to her car if she wanted that that wouldn't cost you much money at all that's yeah but i have heated seats and she doesn't and you know sort of those things so it's sounds like what you need to do is she needs to start driving your car and you drive hers (laughs) no way (laughs) (laughs) just a thought
John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, John. You're trying to help your sister, huh? Oh, yes, I am. I have um, have a five-year-old niece, and we're looking to start um, a 529 college um, account for her. And um, I was on your website. Um, We live in Connecticut, and we're on the honor roll. So I went ahead and... Um, followed your uh, clear instructions on there, but I, I I did have a question for you. As far as the man, um, the fund allocations, I know there are three options: the aggressive, moderate, and conservative. And we were not really sure um, how to go about which which ones to choose. Now, in each of those, you're talking an age-based portfolio. Yes. Yeah. So generally, this is not a time period to go in an aggressive age-based portfolio. Uh, with a five-year-old because it's going to be very heavily tilted towards stocks and the stock market has had such a great run-up that I'm more comfortable in the moderate age-based portfolio anyway because it it leaves you less exposed to the whims of what might happen to the stock market in a relatively short period of time. I see. So um, I, sh- I shouldn't even said that thing about, you know, the stock market having had such a run up. I would just say, let's scratch that. I would just say I like the moderate risk age-based portfolio. Now, will that, will that change uh, depending on how old she is? Like, no, no. That's the beauty of the age-based portfolio is that with her being five, you know, right. when she's 10, it'll be more conservatively. Uh, allocated in the investments when she's 15 much more conservative and when she's a college age uh, it's more like almost like a savings account by that point so the beauty of the 529 plan age-based portfolio is is you get to shorter and shorter horizons till money's going to be spent it's really important that the money be uh, not in high risk kind of choices and in short cycles stocks are higher risk and longer cycles stocks are minimal risk so at five she would have meaningful exposure in that age-based portfolio to stocks but when she's 15 very little exposure remaining to stocks and then by the time she's in college typically not any meaningful exposure to stocks Oh, okay. Okay. So essentially just moving, uh, moving forward from now, you feel very comfortable with just throwing money in the moderate um, managed allocation. Completely. Okay. Now make all sure right. that the, you know, I, I don't know the all the investment choices in each state plan. Look okay. through the, the, the choices offered, all of them offered under the Connecticut 529 plan I've recommended and see if there is one that's specifically referred to as an age-based portfolio or an equivalent language. Age, okay. Because okay. with age-based, it does that continual change as she gets closer to college. Right, right. And you're a great, great uncle to be looking after your niece like this. <laughs> well, she's all I have right now as far as uh, nieces and nephews, so... <laughs> well, good for you, and uh, she's really lucky to have you. Susan's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Susan. 
Hi there, Clark. Thanks for speaking with me this afternoon. Certainly, Susan. You have a warning for your fellow listener. Is that right? Oh, I, I, absolutely. What happened? Well, um, probably three weeks ago or so, I signed up online with a couple of these secret shopper sites. And uh, probably two weeks ago, I got an email from one of the companies saying that I was to be uh, expecting a package from them, and the package would include what I needed uh, to do my secret shopping. So sure enough, I got a priority mail envelope, and inside the envelope was a sheet with some instructions on it and a check for $3,418.90 with my name on it. So, so, well, that's not a bad amount, kid. I can use that money somewhere. But my instructions were to go to three different uh, facilities where you can move money, move a certain amount of money from one yeah. place to another one, okay? And I was to move $1,006.30 at each of one of these three. And the balance that was left over would be... Um, 400 bucks that you get yeah, to keep? right. Yep. I, I got $50 to shop at one of the stores. And then my, my fee for doing the assignment was 350 And if I would um, get out and, and shop at the one, of the one of the retail stores, I got an extra $200 gift card. So that's the motivator, you know, to get out there and do it quickly. Well... I sat on it for a day or two, and they kept sending me emails. Did you receive it? Have you done anything? Have you deposited a check? And it was kind of forceful, I mean, in a, in a way, because they wanted action right now. Sure. And I'm thinking, uh, that's, all, that's a red flag to me, that, that they would, all this would have to be done, like, within 48 hours. So I, um, I contacted one of the banks. There was no name of a company on the check itself. It was just the name of a bank. Check looked legitimate. It was the blue with a white marble, you know. Oh, sure. Had an account number, had a check number, everything matched, everything looked good. So I contacted um, one of the banks, and they did verify that the routing number on the check was theirs. But that was that was a fraudulent check. They told me how to look on the back of it. And, Thank goodness. Yeah, I know. Wow. Do you realize they kept you from losing all that money? Yeah, yeah. Because you would have lost, uh, let's see, you would have lost $3,019 in this scam. Well, really, yeah, right. Yeah, because the rest of it, they say, oh, that's going to be yours to keep. This is, I need to tell you, Susan, this is actually an old scam that nobody's called me about in at least a year and a half. So you've warned other people about the fake check scam and i appreciate that so much but what i most appreciate is that the bank protected you by telling you yeah this is a phony baloney check it's time for ask clark that's where you post a question for me at clark.com and then you get the unique privilege of having producer joel ask your question for you all right clark sona wants to know why don't you recommend certificates of deposit as a safe place for people to stow some money that they won't need right away i personally am afraid of the stock market and i put my money in cds well cds are a great place to park money lately that i've not recommended them because the online savings accounts have generally been a better choice than cds that actually is starting to potentially change and you want to compare the online savings accounts to CDs. 
But the reason I call it a parking space is money you put in a CD, money you put in a savings account, will not out-earn inflation. And I, for one, don't fear the stock market. If you do, I have to respect that and just know that you're going to have to save more money than you might have expected to otherwise doing CDs instead of doing any investing. One thing I would also tell you, please shop CDs at Renewal. Shop online. Find the best deals out there on CDs because if you just go to one bank or one credit union and buy CDs from that bank or credit union, you're missing what may be a much better deal available somewhere else. All right, and Hertha wants to know, what's a good number of credit cards that I should have? Minimum two major credit cards. And depending on your patterns of use, how much available credit you have, you may want three or four. You get past three or four, and it's overkill with credit cards. And you don't want them all with the same issuer, like a bank that might issue multiple different cards. If you have all your cards with one bank and they decide they don't like you anymore, you could go from as many cards as you have to none right away. So I like for you to mix it up, have a Discover, American Express, Visa, MasterCard, have them from different people. And you want to have enough available credit that you're going to use a very small amount of that credit each month. Never more than 30% of your overall available credit on cards. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off-air for free, nine hours a day. If you go to Clark.com and go down the home screen, you'll see a section, Consumer Help and Tools. Click on Consumer Action Center, and you can get that free off-the-air advice.